Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are still in our series in Deuteronomy. Today, we are talking about the Ten Commandments. Before we get started, I have a question for you all, and that is, what do you think about the Ten Commandments? All right. All right, some good convo out there. A lot of Ten Commandment fans. Anybody make some noise? Yes. Boo. Okay, a few boos. All right. So this morning it's kind of funny because Gaddison was like, oh, you know, what are you preaching on? Some, what are you preaching on? Maybe I'll do the music with the sermon. And I was like, oh, Ten Commandments. He was like, no. So I was like, yeah, no, no, no. Do my own thing. It's probably fair. So we're in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and if you were here last week or you listened to the podcast, Corey did a great job of setting the context of uh, what we're talking about, um, which is really fun and really exciting with a book like Deuteronomy because it's really different from uh, Luke that we were in for like what, 1,500 weeks. And um, in the book of Luke, Jesus says stuff like, what? How are you going to look at a log in someone's eye? You have a you're a speck in someone's eye. You have a log in your eye. And you're like, yeah, all right. Pretty straightforward. Uh, Deuteronomy, we have a ton of baggage to sort of undo with it, right? And so <clears throat> what Corey talked about, which what we keep talking about, um, just the context of where the people are in the book of Deuteronomy is that they have been freed, right, from uh, Egypt. We went through the Exodus, and they are about to enter the promised land. So they are about to enter the place that God has for them after they have been freed from this oppression and in that, now we have the Ten Commandments being offered as this uh, way of saying, before you enter into this place that God has for you, before you enter the promised land, before you get to the place that's after the freedom and the liberation, there are some practical shifts you might need to make because some things are going to change and we want a lasting impact. Here is something to think about. Uh, in this time and in our time now, it wasn't just individuals as individuals, but the basic structure of society was a family unit. So people weren't seen as just individuals, but as inextricably bound with their families, right? And this included ancestors before and after us. And we are all inextricably connected. And so these Ten Commandments come in the context of understanding that if we are in this inextricably bound cycle of time, and some practical shifts in behavior might need to change, not only for us, 
but for the people around us and for the people after us. Because what is uh, referred to as one of, the, um, one of the most true frameworks of history is that most people suffer or benefit based on the actions of their ancestors. That's just fundamentally true. We live in a country where we have had ancestors of this country make some decisions about the way we treat people with different color skin, and here we are however many later, many years later, and we are still dealing with that, right? We had some decisions from ancestors, right, about plastic and cars and carbon things, right, that we are very much feeling the impact of that. We have had history, uh, long periods of history, where our ancestors made decisions about gender roles, and we are still very much feeling the impacts of that, which should tell us that uh, they are onto something here and that maybe we are inextricably tied, and that our experience is bound up with the people who came before us, and how we live out this thing will be bound up with the people who come after us, and all of that influences how we are with the people around us and ourselves now, right? Does that make sense? We kind of get that where that's going? So in the context of Deuteronomy, uh, the Ten Commandments come down as to say, before we enter into this place, there are a few things we need to talk about because if we don't have some practical shifts in our behavior, if we don't understand that our actions have consequences, we do not live on an island, we do not exist in a vacuum, then we should change the way we live and we should be held to a standard of accountability, not so a mean, angry God doesn't strike us with lightning, but so that we can create the best opportunity for ourselves now, the people around us, and the people after us. It's very different. We're not doing this so someone won't kill us, right? We're doing this so we can live and the people after us can live as well. It's a different framework for understanding these things, right? There's a different level of accountability. All right, so with that, let's read Deuteronomy 5. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear Israel, the decrees and laws I declare you hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not uh, with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive and here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face to the fire of the mountain at that time. I stood between the Lord and you to declare the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is incredibly important, right? Because what did the gods uh, of the time say and do? The other gods of the time were asking some really wild things of people, things that weren't the best for humanity. And here we have God saying, no, you're not going to put those other gods. Don't believe in those things. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath and the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, right? There's some truth in here about the fact that you can't worship multiple things. And what, uh, this is, what we're saying here is, if you love me and keep these commandments, if you believe in this bigger reality, if you believe in these things that I'm saying, not the other gods are saying, that I will release people from oppression, that I believe in equality, that I believe in justice, that I believe in all these things, that will trickle down from generations. If you try to worship multiple things, the things of the day, the, the other gods, the gold whatever, the capitalism, the patriarchy, the white supremacy, whatever it is of today, that won't work and that will trickle down for generations. 
You shall not misuse the name of Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold any guiltiness, hold anyone guiltless, feels like a better way to say that, uh, who misuses his name. So don't say anything I didn't say, right? It's literally the, the lyrics from the song of we're all dealing with trauma from someone telling us God said something that God never said about us. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male nor female servant, not your ox, not your donkey, not any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town so that uh, your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. What does this mean? You did not get freed from slavery only to become the very thing that you were freed from. You are no longer a slave. You are a person who needs to rest. And guess what? If you need something, then probably everyone who's in your house needs it too. Honor your father and mother as the Lord God has commanded you so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. <sighs> okay. So we have these Ten Commandments, uh, and the last one, right, kind of frames all of the other nine because all of the first ones are external, and this last one is internal. This last one says, this is about your work. This is about what you are going to feel in your heart. This is about your own self being present. This is about you taking the responsibility for what it means to be a part of the society, a part of this family. And in that, if you can get that contentment, if you can get that uh, covetous out of there, if you can be present and real about what's going on, then maybe those other nine will flow through, right? It's very freeing to me to see that the Ten Commandments aren't about an angry God not striking me down with lightning if I listen to um, music in my car and it says, God damn. I literally, like, in high school, I was like, my car is going to burst into flames because... <laughs> A rapper said that, and so I'd be like, ah, break the CD apart. Um, but it's not about me escaping the eternal damnation of hell. It's not about me trying to save my own self. It's about realizing that this God has called us to healing and transformation and maturity because I don't exist on an island. And what I do impacts myself, and what I do impacts my wife, and what I do impacts my parents, and what I do impacts all of you, and what all of us do impacts who will come after us. I'll never forget one day someone in here shared this quote that said, uh, we didn't inherit this land from our ancestors, we're borrowing it from our children, right? Right. And I was like, damn. Okay, no more straws at Starbucks, that's step one. <laughs> But beyond, yeah, <laughs> no, you get that straw there. Even if they put a straw in there, I'm like, I don't want it. So it's still wasting a straw, but <laughs> it's about the heart, right? Um, but that rings true not only for the environment. The things that we have, the energy we're creating, the, the maturity, the, the rhythms, the, the practices, the structures, the systems, we are doing this for the people that will come after us. But here's the reality of what happened to the people in the book of Deuteronomy. Sometimes when you find freedom from oppression, the pendulum swings hard the other way. 
So I used to work at a Christian college. Woo! <laughs> and I worked at this Christian college when I was like 24, 25, 26, one, uh, one of those ages. Um, and so I was still in my 20s, I was young, and I wasn't like a super partier, you know, because I also went to a different Christian college. And so they have these really strict policies on alcohol. Like really strict, like oppressively strict. And we got three months off in the summer because we were on the academic calendar. And I remember, like we couldn't drink anywhere um, students would be, and this school was in Malibu, so it was like, it's basically a small town um, on the west side of LA. And so we couldn't drink uh, in public. We couldn't drink in our apartments. We could, basically, we couldn't drink, but they felt the need to like very actively list out all the ways that that meant for us. <laughs> By the time we got to the end of the school year, I was having lunch with my friend Christina, and she was like, what are you going to do this summer? And I was like, I just want to drink. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to drink so much so often. Like, I'm just going to, if it's an alcohol, I'm going to have it, and I don't even care if I like it. I'm going to have alcohol breakfast, alcohol lunch, and I'm just going to get just filthy, right? And drinking that much isn't healthy for anyone, but feeling so oppressed and repressed in this area, as soon as I got free, I was like, on the other side, right? Now, Alcohol, right? It's fine. It leveled out after, you know, two days of realizing, like, oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you cannot drink that much and be okay. But there are other places in our life where we experience these things and we don't realize what swinging that pendulum far the other way has done to us as immediately as I realized that two straight days of drinking is bad. That there are areas in my life, right? that my uh, Christian upbringing about the rules and different things, the purity culture, sometimes feeling free from that, just swing the other way into just a different kind of unhealthy for me, but it felt better because I was in control, right? That I felt so bound up by these structures and these systems and what the patriarchy says and this that I swing so far the other way just to a different kind of unhealthy. These people were freed from Exodus, from Egypt, from, from this oppressive, extremely oppressive thing and spent that time in the wilderness getting a little wild, which makes sense. If you were in this room and you're at a place like New Abbey, there's a chance that you grew up in something that was a little oppressive and repressive. And sometimes as soon as we find a little freedom and healing from that, we swing so far the other way to something that isn't good for us. And not only is it not good for us, it's really not good for the people around us because we are interconnected whether we want to be or not. And so this isn't a time where we get to say, like, I'm deconstructing my faith. That doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want. That means you question the power structures and the systems and the oppressive and the repressive. But that's why we still use words like sin at New Abbey. Because some things are still important. And we are not only called to question and do all these things and fight the patriarchy. We're also called to a level of maturity in the way that we act and respond to one another. That sometimes when the pendulum swings, we got to swing it a little back. That's like, this is the thing. <laughs> so this is exactly where you know this wasn't in the notes. Um, <laughs> but I've had so many conversations, and I'm not even just putting this on people I've had conversations with, because I've had this same conversation about myself that I feel like sometimes I can't put any restriction on how I live 
right? Because it feels too much like what used to be there. Until I realized that there is something beautiful about living my life in a way that is going to make a lasting impact and change some structures and some things for not only me and my family that I'm creating, but the people who will come after me. And that takes work. All the things I talked about earlier, like slavery, environmental whatever, gender norms, all of this stuff needs to be addressed and that's going to take work and you got to be serious about it and you have to like organize and you have to, man, I'll never forget, again, not enough, um, going to the South on one of the civil rights tours and just thinking like, in my mind, people are just like, yeah, let's just go sit in, um, you know, at the counter and we'll do sit-ins and cool, you know. They meant for months and months and months and months reading and training and like all this nonviolent history and they, they trained and they were disciplined and they didn't drink and they didn't do all these things so that they could be ready to fight the same systems and structures that oppress them. That's the kind of work that it takes to undo some of the things that we are facing. It doesn't take just like a whatever F that. You know what I mean? Where are you going to be? That's not going to create a lasting impact. We are interconnected. And so if we leave that oppressive thing just to find whatever it is, we can create the same kind of harm in ourselves. And it's really hard and tricky, I know, in a period of like deconstructing what's oppressive and what's repressive and what's healthy. I think we know, right? You know, my dad, one of uh, the most annoying things he's always done. Um, he's right here. Um, but he, he would rarely ever let me say, I don't know, in a conversation. He'd be like, you know. And I'd be like, no, I just don't know what I want to do. You know. No, I don't know. And he'd be like, no, you can't say that, right? It was terribly, terribly annoying. <laughs> but that's why, again, at a place like New Abbey, we're not saying, here's exact list of behaviors that are good and behaviors that are bad. Is drinking bad and wrong and inherently a sin? No. Is the way I was drinking because I was swinging the pendulum back from not being able to drink unhealthy for me? Yeah. So now as a church, are we going to say drinking is a sin? No. Now as a church, we get to say, you look at your life and the behaviors that you have and the systems and structures that you're living in, and you know what's not working. And just because we are deconstructing our faith and doing all these things doesn't mean that we don't have to look at those parts and shore up and take some maturity and say, yeah, it's going to take some hard work, but this is a different kind of oppressive pattern that I want to address, even in myself. I had a different closing point, but that one feels like a good enough spot to just end on. Um, with that, you're going to get back with your groups, and you're going to answer this question. What is one area of your life that needs more maturity? Super light, super simple. Um, find those same two or three people around you and enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.